Welcome to the AMC Stock Story Podcast. I'm your host, Russell Corey, and this is not financial advice, and I am not a financial advisor. This is solely for entertainment purposes, as I talk about my experiences of investing in AMC stock and becoming an AMC ape. Episode 17. Well, that sucked. Yep, indeed, it did suck. I, like many of you apes, you know, listened to the earnings call, was um, happy with what I heard, and was happy to see the stock go up in the after hours, pre-market. And, yeah, then that happened. Obviously, I understand some people took profits, um, but I don't think that was everything. And it sucks. It really, really sucks. There's no way to sugarcoat it. To go back to square one again, where we've been recently, it sucks. And it sucks more because I knew it would happen. I had heard a interview with uh, someone, I think it might have been the CEO of Overstock.com, but forgive me, I, <coughs> I don't know who exactly it was, but the gist of it was this, that taking a company public, you know, your IPO, you think it's going to be a big deal, and Wall Street tells you all these great things, or if there's a release of a great earnings call, some big wonderful news, and you assume that your stock price is going to go up, and then it happens, and the stock price tanks. How can that be? Well, it's because the people on Wall Street, they don't care about your success. They don't care about good things. They care about a way to make money off of you, period. Now, look, it's not like I'm here to make money, but... You know, I invest my money honestly, and I, you know, I'm waiting. I don't manipulate the market to try and get my money. But it it made me think about, you know, as I was anticipating the earnings call and the reaction of the stock and talking to my wife about it, I told her this about this story. And I said, they're probably going to attack it, big time. And I also knew that a lot of people, just as I talked about before, they're swing trading the stock, they're day trading the stock. They'll they'll take the two bucks profit, you know. It'll they know that the hedge funds are going to attack it with ladder attacks and with everything they got. So in the morning, they sell their stock at what they think is going to be the high because normally the stock goes up a little bit in the morning, and then the attack comes. And they wait for that to bottom out, and then they buy their shares back. And even if it's just to increase their share count, you know, they say, oh, I got I got 10 more shares, and the hedge funds paid for it. Yeah, great, wonderful. I'm happy for you. Um, but I knew it was coming. Now, we didn't do that. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, I just bought more. It's funny, I, I do two things when this happened yesterday. 
apologize to my wife for getting us into this because I didn't know how corrupt the system was. You know, I was naive in that regard. Um, maybe I still would have done it. I don't know. But it is, it's so corrupt. The, the, the people who, the hedge funds that short the stock are the same people that get to uh, steer the orders to buy the stock. Obviously a conflict of interest there. And then they also own the back rooms where the deals can be made to nullify the stock or do it in a certain way that it won't hurt their short position. Wow. You know, the NBA should do that. They, sh- they should have some teams, some teams should be able to get to control, control the scoreboard and they should be able to do the uh, officiating. But then again, you can say, well, the, the, the SEC is the officiating, aren't they? And they're doing a wonderful job. Just a wonderful job. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I knew this would happen. I knew they would do this to us. Now, I didn't take advantage of it by selling my stock and waiting for it to go down and then either buying it back or buying it back and taking, you know, same number of shares and keeping some profit for myself. But I didn't. My plan is to buy and hold, and that's what we're doing. Um, but I did buy some more shares. Again, when I talked about being an addict, you know, I can't stop. When the shares are that low, when it gets to, you know, $31 and change, $32, you know, I can't help it. I remember buying shares at, you know, $56, $57. So, you know, you're getting it at almost half what you had paid then. And again, I still believe in the squeeze. Don't ask me why. I still do. And this idea that, you know, if these shares start going for $1,000 a share, $3,000 a share, $5,000 a share, $10,000 a share, $50,000 a share, $100,000 a share. How could you not think back and say, why didn't I buy more when it was 31 why didn't I buy more? And again, thank you hedge funds for bringing it back down to that, which did provide me with the opportunity to buy more. But, you know, it's funny, I I, I think I told this story before. Um, it was, uh, I think, God, you know, it was after the... Star Wars came out, and I it was it, it was a little while when the Jawas finally came out. The Jawas Star Wars action figures finally came out. There's a big hype about it. I don't know if they overproduced them or what, but at a certain point, we were in like a JCPenney's, and there was a big bin just filled with Jawa Star Wars figures. Just filled. Huge bin. Like, you know, it's funny. Your memory can distort things when you're a kid because you're little and everything looks bigger when you're a kid. But I literally felt like I could jump up into this bin and literally swim in all of these original Star Wars Jawa action figures. Uh, Don't ask me if they were the vinyl coat or the cloth coat. I think they were the cloth coat ones. But anyway, they had a whole bin of these things. 
and they were on sale for 25 cents. 25 cents. And um, that was a pretty good deal for a, a Star Wars action figure. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think how much they were back then in 19, the late 70s. Maybe like a buck and change or two bucks and change, three bucks and change maybe. I'm not exactly sure. It's a good question. But 25 cents was a pretty darn good deal, even for Jawa, because they weren't that big. Well, my family, we, we bought six. They bought six. We had, I had two brothers. They bought six. We each got two, I guess, is how they figured it. And, of course, we opened them, and we played with them, and we lost everything. And I'm sure we still have a couple of the Jawas around. For a while, we had a nice little tribe of Jawas. But I think about that bin. How much would 100, 200 of those 25-cent Jawas be worth today at Collector's? Because you don't want to flood the market. You know, you wouldn't put them all out at once, but, you know. Let them trickle out. <laughs> How much would that $0.25 cent investment be worth today? Probably several hundred dollars. I don't know. I could look it up on eBay, but I'm too lazy. But that's the idea. I'm, I'm in my early 50s, and I still remember that bin of Jawas. Well, I don't want that bin of Jawas to be AMC stock at $31.70. And thinking, why didn't I buy more? Now again, I'm still an ape. I'm still dumb money. I'm still a smooth-brained ape. So, I guess I'm stupid for buying more. Because if you read the FUD, they'll tell you, this is AMC's done. You're just holding the bag for all the other people that got out at 72. <laughs> How could you be so stupid? This stock's a dead cat. It's not going anywhere. But yet I still buy. I still believe. As much as it what happened yesterday sucked, I still I still believe enough to buy a few more shares. And again, I'm working towards another number. I tell myself that. Um, and once I reach that number, I'll stop. I know I won't, but we'll see. My my sincere hope and wish is that the stock would go up. So it's just not feasible for me to buy any more shares. Like, I just can't. Even if I wanted to, I can't. Um, but when they're this low, it's hard not to pick up, you know, a few shares here and there. And if you can do that for, you know couple of weeks those those few shears here and here they add up so we'll see but this is what they wanted they wanted us frustrated they wanted us angry people are talking about protesting out in front of citadel like that would do any good did occupy wall street do any good except for supply the pictures of those wall street people drinking champagne looking down on all the Occupy Wall Street protesters with their champagne and mocking us. Not that I was out there for that, but I was, was there in spirit. I got it. But did it change anything? Not really. You know, maybe it helped, you know, give rise to the Reddit 
Wall Street bets investors, maybe, trying to get some market fairness. I don't know. I think the longer this goes on and the SEC doesn't do anything, the more frustrated people get. I I think it could be scary what someone who maybe has gone all in on this could do. Um, it's it sucks, but I hope I hope the SEC is doing something behind the scenes and they just can't talk about it. And that's why you don't hear much going on, because I think there's three c- scenarios with the SEC. They're either doing something, it's ongoing. And they can't publicize it. Can't talk about it because it's ongoing. But I'm naive enough to think that any day there'll be a major announcement. Charges filed. It's going to be the scene in in Shawshank Redemption where the cops finally come for the corrupt warden at the end. Like, that's it. Ball game's over. And everything's going to fall into place after that. And the squeeze will start. Margin calls will be will happen, and the stock goes to the moon, and everybody lives happily ever after. Then there's the more, there's the tragic movie, the sad, realistic movie, where the SEC is in on it. The call's coming from inside the house. The SEC knows what's going on. This is that moment when you're watching a horror film or something, and you think, Someone is the sheriff or the, the one you can trust. And then there's the moment where they, you think they've come to the rescue. And then they step over. And then you realize they're with the villain. That the law enforcement, that the hero, was actually working with the villain the whole time. And that's the scary dark one. That maybe all these SE people, SEC people, they all want to get jobs working for the hedge funds. But how are you going to get a job working for the hedge funds after your government service, uh, when, you, when you've you know busted the hedge funds for all their illegal activity. Yeah, not, not a great career path. Uh, that doesn't go over real well in the, uh, in the job interview. So um, tell me one of your bad qualities. Well, I guess it was when I was with the SEC and we, uh, we busted your company for market manipulation. Yeah. And you got margin called. I guess that that might you know it's kind of a good quality, but for in your instance, you you might think that's a bad quality. Or there's the other instance where the, these these people are just out to lunch, that they have no clue that everybody is screaming at them to do something, do your job, stop the market corruption, and in the meanwhile they're just tweeting about all this other crap as if it's not even going on as if they can't hear it as if they're like la 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 they got the fingers in the ears la 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 and they don't want to hear it they'll say something like oh we're looking into it we're looking into it when the crime's going on in broad daylight so i don't know are they are they the heroes and something's going on behind the scenes and we'll know about it soon enough are they corrupt and are they with the bad guys? And if that's the case, we truly are screwed. Or are they just just incompetent? 
just totally incompetent. And even if they wanted to do something, they couldn't. They're so neutered, so underfunded, um, purposely so, that they can't do anything. You know, it's like the cop they send out with the, you know, revolver and the bad guys robbing a bank with body armor and AK-47s. Doesn't work out too well for the cop in that situation. So what can we do to fix this? I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I don't, I don't think protest, I don't think going into the street is going to help. It's called to me. That's the 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 baseball player going on strike scenario. You remember? You know when the baseball players go on strike, the millionaires versus the billionaires. Although some of these professional athletes are getting close to you know being billionaires themselves. However, but that's the fight. Like, hey, these these billionaire owners are keeping keeping us money from us, and the average fans like. Um, if you don't want to play baseball for millions of dollars, I'll play baseball. You don't get a lot of sympathy. You know, the baseball players take it to the street and, and protest. Um, usually they, the fans hate both sides in those scenarios. So what are we going to say? Hey, uh, public, we wanted life-changing money for doing little to no work. Now, yes, we did make investments, and we worked hard most of us, most of the apes, I'm assuming, are working people. We worked hard for the money that we want to invest. But literally, all the work involved was, you know, doing a few, you know, keyboard strokes and having faith in the squeeze. And for that action and belief, um, we would simply just ask for $500,000 a share. Yeah, the public doesn't care. They're like, okay, so you, you wanted to become instant millionaires for doing nothing, really. Sure, sure, we got your back. Let's, let's go march. I don't think public protests are going to do much. I really don't. Not in this day and age. Not when there's so many other bigger issues. You know, you had the Black Lives Matter movement. You had the insurrection on the Capitol. But now you're going to tell me that, yeah, <coughs> let's take to the streets because, you know, the apes want their tendies. I don't think you're going to get a lot of support from other people. Um, the, I think the biggest thing is just buy and hold. That's it. Don't sell your stock. Keep it. We think that the stock's been oversold. And they're going to have to buy it back at some point. And if we all hold it as long as we can, that price should go up. And isn't that an interesting development? Remember when I talked about the say, share count, and registering your votes, and that gave us proof that they were naked shorting. And wow, what do you know? Robin Hood's going to buy say. Because it was right. We were right. It did show proof. And they want to make sure that's never going to happen again, that people can't use that platform to show naked shorting. That's, you know, I talked about putting your money where your mouth is. Well, look where their money's going. Their money, you know, it's and it's scary and it's disheartening in a way because that was something that gave apes hope. And, you know, I was disappointed more apes didn't take advantage of it. I was telling my wife, I'm like, look, 
we had such a small percentage actually do this. If that's the kind of commitment in the ape army, how do, how are we expecting people to hold to $100,000 a share if they can't even go vote and register their shares to show that there's naked shorting going on with either an overwhelming number of shares represented or an, you know a large percentage of the ape investors, the retail investors showing up. So you really could extrapolate those figures without a lot of without too much guessing. Like it was the one thing, Timothy B's question, that was the one thing we had going for us that we say that helps prove this. And what does Robinhood do? They pay cash for it. You know, it's kind of like if it was a movie, you know, maybe you got one detective who comes on your side and helps you and gives you hope. And you think maybe there's a way, maybe there's a way. And then the bad guys step in and and pay them off or buy them, right? Or in a movie, it's much more dramatic. They Usually the person shows up dead. Like this was the one person you thought was going to help save you, the one witness that was going to testify at the trial. And they show up dead or they commit suicide or they're missing. So yeah, that sucked. That sucked. Um, I don't know. We're back at square one. There's no earnings call to look forward to now. And that sucks. So what do we what do we look forward to? What's the catalyst? What's gonna help bring on the squeeze? I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I've always said this is not the technical financial advice podcast. This is about feelings as an investor and what I'm feeling. And maybe if you're other investors, you're maybe you're feeling these same things. And that's why I do this to sort of help myself. And if somebody's out there listening, Hey, listen, you know, one of the hard things for me is I I really like listening to Lou, Lou versus Wall Street. I really did. And maybe, you know, look, I'm not stupid. Maybe everything he was saying was crap. Maybe he's pulling it all out of his ass. But I like listening to him. I thought he was a good communicator. And, and I would try to, I would take heart with what he was saying. How much of it was true, how much wasn't, I don't know. But he was a good communicator and I look forward to his videos. And then he took a step back and, um, does, you know, he's into this whole crypto thing, which is kind of what I figured Lou was doing anyway. There's a reason why he wasn't doing Super Chats. There's a reason why he wasn't doing merch. He had his eye on a much bigger picture after all this. He was developing his community and he was going to take them somewhere. And he didn't want to, you know, lose anybody on the merch and the Super Chats. He wanted to be able to just say, hey, I'm just Lou. I'm just Lou. But he kind of stopped talking about AMC. So I don't even watch his videos anymore. I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. But I miss. I feel like I missed a friend. I missed someone that I could reach you know, out to and just... just I, don't, I don't need the technical stuff. To me, I think it's a rigged game. You're, you're talking about giving commentary for a basketball game where the other one side's cheating. Don't tell me about basketball fundamentals when, when one side is clearly cheating. You know... At, at that point, it's, well, what are they going to do? How many points are they going to give themselves? How many points are they going to allow the other team? And then when are the refs going to finally do something, if ever? Well, they're monitoring it. 
And then every once in a while, I'd watch The Ape Father. And he's kind of a, a you know, he, he's purely a hype man. But sometimes I'd, sometimes it's just entertaining. It's a stress relief to watch some of these guys. But then, and listen, I, I may upset some people right now, right? And if I do, that's fine. But The, the Ape Father makes a, a video appealing to Donald Trump. Like Donald Trump is going to fix this. Let me tell you something about Donald Trump. Donald Trump has one friend, Donald Trump. I mean, these people that, that believe in this guy, the last person that Donald Trump will turn on is you. That's who this person is. He uses people when he's done using them, or they don't do exactly what he says. He turns his back on them. This guy ain't going to help us unless it helps him. But how I'm thinking, you know, try to keep the ape movement, keep the politics out of it, you know, or a minimum or cage it as, as best you can. Because as apes, other people have different opinions than you. And you try not to let those things come, you know, between you. But, but how did the ape father think that was a good idea? Doesn't he realize that half the country hates Donald Trump? And maybe half the apes hate Donald Trump. And when you do a video appealing to, to Donald Trump, like he's the greatest president ever, who, who lost the popular vote twice, who was impeached twice, who led a armed insurrection against the United States government trying to take away the, the votes of the, the public, please. But what it did was, like, I can't watch The Ape Father anymore after that. And I kind of like watching him sometimes. Some of the stuff I, I, don't, I didn't like what he did, but that's gone too. So Lou's gone for me. The Ape Father's gone for me. And, and what's the technical analysis from all these other guys? What good is that? When the hedge funds are just going to cheat. And it sucks. So, you know, if you've been listening to these podcasts and watching some of the YouTube videos, I've, I've been converting them into YouTube videos. Not, not that it, nobody watches those. But I just do it. Um, and, and, you know, I'm glad you're listening. And, and uh, we're, I'm right there with you. You know, if you're feeling down, I'm down too. And that's what the hedge funds wanted us. They wanted us to be down. But just like the Grinch... You know, he steals all the gifts. He's waiting to hear all the cries and lamenting. And instead, he hears people singing. Like, he didn't break them. The Grinch didn't break the Who's. They were just grateful to be together. And I think that's as bad as this is. You know, I'm still grateful to be part of this movement. And hopefully, hopefully there'll be justice. You know, hopefully there'll be some justice here. And we'll get our tendies. But I want to I want to share two recent challenges with you that I had, um, and it gets back to this issue that you know does life happen for the best, or does life happen and it's up to you to make the best out of it. So uh, January two thousand, I start getting ideas for little products, and I go on this little inventing kick, and I come up with I don't know half a dozen product ideas. And they all basically suck. There's, they're not going anywhere. And one by one, I, I realized that. These, these aren't going anywhere. 
except for one. I had one product that was actually kind of cool. One product that we actually used in our house. Most of the other products you'd use for a day or two and no one would use them after that. Or, or it just wouldn't work out. But this product we actually kept using. And my wife said, you know, that's the one you should focus on. And I did. I took some time off. I started with coming up with these things in January and really started developing them in you know, February and March. And then COVID happened. And nothing was nothing was going on in March 2020. So I don't want to say I gave up. I just put it on pause. But by by May, June, I really started to believe in this one product. And I learned more about inventing too. I learned that you don't have to start your own company. That there are companies that will look at your ideas. You just go on the websites, see if they have you know portals for inventors and submission guidelines. And you can submit your idea to these companies. So I did that. And I'd, I'd set up a website, too, for it. Um, and one of the great things is that I could do analytics on the website, and I could see when people were going to it and what cities they were in. And there was one company, SureTape, you know, the people that make duck-branded duct tape, they're one of the companies I submitted this idea to. And they had offices in Ohio and in North Carolina. And I had uh, I noticed that it was coming up. That there were a few blips, a few hits from these areas. And I told my wife, I said, I think they're looking at it. Now, if it was just one blip, I would say, well, that's probably the person that opens these emails and looks at it and then says no. So if you saw one blip, they went, they looked at it, they told you no, and that's it. But when there's a, a few blips, you know, in North Carolina and in Ohio, I think they're looking at it. So I followed up with them, and sure enough, they were they were interested, and they wanted more. They wanted more samples, and I said, "Great, I'll send you." And I went to work, sent them more samples, just as much as I could. Kept. You know, sending them videos and more, like, like here, here's more things you can do with this. Try to get their interest up, and and then it's that is sort of you know, like I knew the 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 product development director was on it, and I had his email, and every three months I was checking in with them, saying, "You still guys still looking at it? Still interested?" And he'd always say, "Yes, yes." Now he made it clear that listen, you know, they're a big company; these things take time. Um, so don't expect anything quick. And I said, yep, no, I get it. I get it. You're, I think you're the company. You're, you're a global company. What you guys did with, you know, duck-branded duct tape is awesome. I learned all about the company. The founder, I read his book. You know, they had these great online videos. So I, I saw the management team talking, and I learned about the company. I said, this is the company. So I was patient, and I kept waiting. And I basically, you know, first submitted to them in June. 2020 and it, you know like i said it got to the point where i didn't want to bug them but every three months i would check in just to see if they were still looking at it and they were and then finally a couple weeks ago I, I sent my other you know i found it in april they said they were still looking at it great so i gave them the summer and then finally you know at, at the end of july i said emailed them again so this time the guy says listen you know, I like this idea. He was using it. 
by the way. He was working from home and he was using it. He sent me a picture of him using it, my product at home, which was awesome. And I always knew I got a fair shake, at least, you know, when the head of product development is using your product, actively using your product, then you know you're going to get a fair shake. Whether they go with it or not, you know, you can't just say, well, they didn't even look at it and they just automatically said no. But he said, you know, we're two years away from this happening, if it happens at all. And he said, you really probably should take your product somewhere else. And I said, okay, you know, no one wants to hear, you know, it's over. And that's basically what he was telling me. It's kind of like Jim Carrey at the end of Dumb and Dumber, when she tells him there's about a one in a million chance of him and her getting together. (laughs) And Jim Carrey's like, so you're telling me there's a chance. So, you know, I could look at that and say, hey, hang in there two more years, two more years, and they're going to be selling a million of these, and you'll get your nice royalty check from it. No. It's like, all right, I'm going to go other places. But I asked him, I said, well, what do you, how are you, you know, you, you were looking at this thing for a year. How are you going to feel if I go to a competitor? And they take it, and they make it into a success. And he said, well, you know, I'll, I'll be sad for us. I'll be happy for you. And then, he, you know, he warned me about one of their competitors and how their competitor would probably just steal the idea from you, that they were basically, you know, lawyers pretending to be a company. And I, I kind of knew that, which is one of the reasons. I never sent it to that company because of that. Anyway, my, my point is this. Um, it sucked. For a year, I waited. And I would sit at home and I would calculate what I think the the royalties were going to be you know you get a quarterly royalty check and i would say well how many how many places how many stores sell their products worldwide and if they just sell like each store does like 30 in a quarter and they there's you know ninety thousand stores worldwide different stores and venues oh my gosh that's gonna be awesome kind of like looking forward to that hundred thousand dollars a share and then it's over. I mean, it's over. But now I'm free to do what I want with the product. Because at the time, once they were interested, that's it. I said, I'm not messing this up. I'm not going to anybody else. This is the company. And I'm going to make sure if they go forward, they got a blue sky and they can do whatever they want. They're not backed into anything. So I stopped p- presenting the product to people. And doing anything with it other than developing ideas myself. So now that's done. I can go. I feel free now to go out and do what I want with it. Which is what I am doing. So that's what I can control. You know, it sucked that, you know, they finally kind of pulled the plug on it on me. Knowing that they really weren't going to do anything with it in the near future. And it wasn't, you know, that's, and this is the other thing. You know, it's kind of like, if you want to get married and you're with somebody and you're much more enthusiastic about the relationship than you are, you want that other party to show enthusiasm or share your enthusiasm. Like to me, when I send an idea to somebody, I want them to have my enthusiasm. I want them to think, this is the greatest product ever. Not only is there going to be one of these in every home, classroom, and business, there's going to be one in every room. That's how great this product is. That's how much we believe in it. And I never saw that passion with them. 
And that's okay. And it's best to find somebody else that does share it. So it's nice to move on, and I'll be moving on with that, and I'm working on that strategy right now. But that's what I can control. Now it's back in my court, and I can you know do with it what I will. It sucks that I don't maybe have this potential partnership anymore, but it's nice to have the ball back in my court and be working on it. Um, the other challenge I had is, uh, so when the pandemic hit, and they shut, they, they and the kids didn't go back to school in the fall. My wife and I both worked from home full time. And at the time, I had a job I wasn't crazy about. And we tried to make it work. We were both working from home, and we would work 12-hour days, and we'd each take time off from work to sit with our son while he was doing remote school. He was only in, in kindergarten, I think, or first grade. And he needed someone to sit there with him. He wasn't independent enough to just sit there by himself. And it was too much. We had tried it. It was too much. And I finally told my wife, I'm like, look, you know, I did Instacart um, a long time ago to raise money to buy a used computer. And I was still an active shopper. shopper. I said, look, let me just do the side gig at night and on the weekends. I'll bring money in from that. We're not paying for daycare anymore. So we, we're, we're saving money in that regard. And you can go back to your normal routine. And when kids go back to school, I'll just get another full-time job. And let's stop this craziness of both of us working 12-hour days trying to make this happen. And she reluctantly agreed to it, and so I started doing Instacart again. And um, some days you can make really good money. You know, if you work, you do Costco all day, you get some nice big tips, you can make decent money, right? But you have a shopper rating. They, the shopper can rate your service. Now, the top is five stars, and mostly, I was a five-star shopper. But I had a stretch where all of a sudden I got a four-star and two three-stars. And it took my rating down. And what I discovered was, when you have a low rating, you don't get first crack at the, the good orders. All the five-star people do. So all the orders with all the big tips on them, they get plucked up before you see them. So all of a sudden, you know, this, this was a viable option, me working Instacart, all of a sudden, my earnings ability was dramatically reduced because the orders I was seeing weren't very good. And they're harder to shop for, and I had to go into areas I didn't really want to go into it. I had my area that I liked, but I wasn't able to you know, get the, the, the orders. So I had this low rating. Now, here's the other problem I had. It's based on 100 orders, your last 100 orders. Um, but what was happening is 75% of the people I shopped for would not rate my service. Now, I'm not saying I was perfect for all of them, but I would think the vast, major, vast, vast majority would be five-star ratings. But if they don't rate you, there's no rating there. So that when someone does give you a low rating, that low rating now carries so much more weight because there's so many 75% non-votes to counter it. So what do you do? I, I started having to ask my clients to rate my service. I'd wait, make sure the order went well, and if it was an order, there was if they had all their items and there were no issues, and I felt really good that they would give me a five star rating. I would ask them. I say, please rate my service today. I would not ask for a five star rating. I would just ask that they please rate my service because it helps me get 
orders in the future, which is indirectly kind of asking for a five-star order. But if it's been a good order, what's the point? You know, why would you give someone a four-star rating when you got your delivery on time and it was everything you wanted and everything was in good shape, right? So that's the other thing I became very cognizant of is making sure everything is, nothing's damaged or broken, that there's no reason for them to complain. And guess what? It worked. There were still people that didn't leave me ratings, but enough people kept leaving me ratings that I was able to knock those bad ratings out. And I'm back to a five star, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing the good orders again. (laughs) And and I mean good, you know, with big, big tips. And that helps a great deal. If you do do Instacart, please tip your your drivers, because it it is a lot of work going into the store, shopping, Driving it to wherever and, and delivering it. I know you wouldn't go into a restaurant and not tip your, your waitress or your waiter. Your waitress or your waiter is not going to the store, buying your food products, bringing it back to the kitchen, making your meal, and then driving it to your house to feed you. You know, and you give your usually you give waiters and waitresses a pretty good tip. So just try to remember that with your with the the delivery drivers or, and and your shoppers if you do do Instacart. But bottom line is there was a problem. I had a low rating. And I had to figure out a way, how do I fix this? And the only way I could see doing it was actually asking people that I knew had good orders to please rate my service and get more five-star ratings. And it, and it worked. And I was able to get rid of the, the bad ratings. And now I'm back to making a, you know, a, a decent amount of money. I'll probably still have to get a you know, new full-time job in the fall, but for now it's, it's good. I can buy more AMC if I have good weeks shopping. I feel I feel better about it. But I was able to take action. And now, what do you do with AMC? I don't know. I can't grab the SEC by the shirt collar, shake them up, and say, do your job. There is a crime being committed here. You're in charge of preventing that crime. And when you don't prevent that crime, either through corruption or incompetence, that's a crime on your part. Now you're part of, now you're the criminal because you're letting the crime happen. But I can't do that. I, I don't have the money to try and counteract billion dollar hedge funds, I don't have the social media platform to do that and so I sit here helpless as the hedge funds manipulate this stock and it sucks but I still believe in the movement I still believe that someday they will have to buy back these shorts that they massively oversold on who knows two three times maybe I'm not a financial advisor, not financial advice, but look at the numbers from this, the, the share voting, you know, and, and Timothy B's question. That should give you some indication. And so we hang in there, but it sucks, and there's no sugarcoating it. And in some ways, I kind of blame myself because I, of course, woke up 1 a.m. Pacific time, 4 a.m. Eastern time, 
and I watched that stock. Because I actually went back to the movies for the first time in, a, in a, over a year. I went and I saw Suicide Squad. And when I was in the theater, that's when the, the earnings call was going to be starting. So, like, I was in the theater when all that happened. So I went in, and the stock was in the low 30s. Now, at a certain point, I had to actually go to the bathroom, so I, I left the theater for a minute. And while I was out, I checked I checked it. I saw it had gone up to, like, $37. But it dipped back down a little bit, but still, it was pretty solid. So happy. So excited that, okay, good. We're, we're getting back on track here. And then the next day, and when pre-market started up, and it was, you know, doing solidly there, I thought, all right, this is it. And then I thought... Oh my God, wouldn't it be awesome to record a podcast with the stock ripping? Oh my God, that'd be an awesome podcast. I'd be like, all right, you know, I started this, it's at 37. Oh my God, it's at 40. Yay, we crossed 40. Now we're 40. Hey, 42, 43. Yay, we're doing it. 50, we're back. We're back at 50. Oh, 60. It's going to be awesome. You know, I was going to record the podcast of watching the stock rip. And then it started dipping. I never actually started it, you know, I was just thinking about it, and it went down, and it went down, and it went down, and it went down, and it sucks, and we're at $31 and change right now, $31 and change is when it closed at, and let's see, I'm going to check check it right now, I'll tell you right now where it's at, uh, pre-market just started. And where is it at right now? Let's see. Well, $32.40. So, yeah, it went up a little bit, I think. Well, that's good. $32.40. Is it going up or down now? Let's see. And it's just kind of staying there right now. Not a lot of Not a lot of movement. Well, at least it didn't go down into the 20s. You know, we'll see what happens when it actually opens. Um, but it'd be nice for it to come back today, wouldn't it? And that's all we can hope for. Now, who knows? Maybe on the next episode of the AMC Stock Story, we'll be doing the mother of all short squeezes.